Okay, yeah, we're going to cut out the whole SVU thing. Uh, welcome to Stargate Weekly. I am Stuart Hollis. I'm Thad Hate. And this week we are discussing Season 1, Episode 10, Thor's Hammer. So, what do you remember? Um, this one I remember pretty well, because it's one I typically watch. It's one I often I look forward to, really. Uh, it's one of the, in my opinion, better ones of Season 1. So, I remember the, the whole plot. Because I just watched it a couple months ago. Okay. Um, I apparently got a lot of the plot um, overlaid with another episode that... Thor's Chariot. Yes. I can't remember if it's this season or next. It's next season. Right. Where they come back to this planet. So I... A lot of what I had written down was wrong. Um... (laughs) But I did remember the the anti-Gould trap, so I have that going for me. At least I remembered that. I did not remember the special guest voice of James Earl Jones as Unas. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was not in the costume. No, 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 probably not. Um, But, uh, yeah, no, great episode. Mm -hmm. I, you know, loved it. Uh, The official synopsis from TV Guide is... O'Neill and Teal'c find themselves imprisoned on a planet ruled by an enemy of the Gould. That's not... I mean, the first half of that sentence is correct, and, like, the last quarter of it's correct, but they're not... But the planet's not ruled by the Asgard. No. It's an Asgard-protected planet, but that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. They don't even necessarily, like, like, they allude to, but we don't... Yeah, that's... Our knowledge of Asgard protected planets comes from future knowledge. Right, exactly. Heck, our knowledge of the Asgard comes from future knowledge. No, because the, the weird hologram that's... Oh, man, the, it's like the laziest hologram. Yeah. You know, tells us that it's the Asgard fleet, etc. And there's the... They have the, the whatever arrangement set up. So there's definitely an illusion there that... There's this bigger picture. There's this, like, there's the Asgard, who are this powerful group. We don't know who, all the details yet of who or what they are. That, and they have an arrangement with the Gould, probably based on the fact that the Asgard are more powerful than the Gould, um, to say that, hey, okay, listen, these planets you can't touch. Yep. Um, but yeah, geez, really phoning it in mm-hmm. on that uh, hologram. So. But yeah, so we start in at Cheyenne Mountain. Yeah, and the fact that it's just a hologram and that he's phoning it in is important. Yes. We'll need to remember that yes. uh, when next season we get to the sequel. Absolutely. Um, and we can hopefully remember to revisit this to talk about why it's kind of weird and also important. Um, but yeah, so we're, we open the episode in Cheyenne Mountain. Mm-hmm. No Walter this episode. We hear him. I don't I went back and listened to it again. I do not think that's Walter. Don't don't break my heart. <laughs> um but yeah, so they're in the briefing room. Um and Jackson is telling us that he thinks there's two different kinds of star gods, which is I think the first and only time we ever hear <laughs> that phrase come out of Jackson. Yes. Or anyone, or anyone <laughs> in the like, just like in the history of ever. Yeah. Um, 
And then he launches into an, a uh, a primer, apparently, on. <laughs> Okay, so for those of you that aren't, that don't intimately know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thad and I have a very, we both care a a great deal about language and pronunciation and properly employing American English, because there's a difference between American English and British English. Often it's not particularly evident, but a big indicator, for example, is we say often and they say often because they're mm-hmm. wrong. Um, we say aunt and they say aunt. We say herb and they say herb. And as as, he, as and as Eddie Izzard would say, because it has an H in it. I mean, that's not the worst reason. The real reason. Or the big reason that we say herb and they say herb is because we are using the French root and we don't have, we don't try to make every word that came from French not sound like French because we hate the French, whereas the English do. Well, that's because of our debt to General Lafayette. Um, but anyway, so up until a few years ago, I had I was so sure because i'd never heard it really print like said out loud before that the word primer which is spelled p-r-i-m-e-r was pronounced primer like with paint including when one is talking about the sort of you know little thin pamphlet-esque book that one has one's primer not pronounced that way apparently english book that you get in first grade or something you know, but apparently it's pronounced Primer, which is how the movie Primer is pronounced, which Thad and I both understood after one, two watchings tops come at us. I did watch it a second time just to make sure I understood it the first time. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like like my like my <laughs> big breakdown on understanding the movie was like, wait, is that Gary or is that Fred? I don't have the names right. I don't care. Yeah, no, I don't either. It's been too long. You know, it, it's like it's like just it's just keeping track of the names. Like that was my biggest beef with it. But like understanding the concepts of their time travel, okay, yeah, that's like a weird way to travel through time. But sure, I'll allow it. And in your defense, if you follow English pronunciation rules, which are more like sometimes guidelines, hmm. it should be pronounced primer. Boom. And you are not the only one who makes that mistake. So this has been a brief interlude on English Pronunciation Weekly. (laughs) And now, back to the show. I'd totally be down for making that show, but I think (laughs) I'd need a co-host who understands what an adverb is. Bite me. (laughs) I speak good. (laughs) That That was on purpose. Tweet your angry notes at Thad. Uh, so anyway, yes. So Jackson is giving us a primer on Thor, and then I had to remind myself that this originally aired September twenty sixth, nineteen ninety seven, and no one knew who Thor was. Yeah, the Marvel Cinematic Universe wasn't a thing yet, right? Although, hey, big plus, no horns on the helmets once they get to yeah uh, the planet. Well done. I honestly couldn't remember when that was sort of became a thing of 
like common-ish knowledge. Now, I would point out that when I first saw this episode, like, ten years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, I knew who Thor was, but I'm a huge nerd. Huge nerd. As evidenced by the fact that you're making this podcast, you know how to pronounce primer. Yes, etc. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so we're still in the briefing room, and and then all of a sudden, Teal pipes up to say, oh, I know the hammer symbol. It's, you know, we all know the the court, you know, the, the code for the planet, the address for the planet, and something transpired there that no Gould will speak of. Ooh, I like the sound of that, says Jack and General Hammond. And I'm thinking, really? Yeah, just because it doesn't look, just because it was bad for the Gould doesn't mean it's good for you. Right, exactly. And so to continue on that vein, they don't send a mouth through first. They just sort of are like, eh, whatever. We'll, we'll send Fred through and we'll go in. I mean, in their defense, as we'll learn in a few minutes, the mouth wouldn't have done any good. No, it wouldn't have, but they probably should have sent one. Yes. But apparently no Stargate operating center. They never give, um, you know, not to get like way into the weeds again on this episode but looking forward to say like atlantis where i can't remember the title um oh the 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 shrine Mm -hmm. um and shepherd okay so we're talking about the wow right uh okay so the shrine and shepherd you are no longer allowed to do a podcast called stargate weekly if you can't remember the main character of atlantis's name my brain man So anyway, so the episode The Shrine, where Shepard recommends to Woolsey that, or rather, I'm sorry, Woolsey recommends, I guess, to Shepard to say that, well, we should really be sending a map through before every single mission. So we're, at that point, like 13 years into the Stargate program, and only now is someone, like, seriously proposing maybe we should be sending a probe through before every single mission? Yeah, at least... On Atlantis, like they can, they can send a cloaked jumper, so like it's unlikely to be a problem. Well, yeah, but how often are they going through in a cloaked jumper? Exactly four times or something. Like, no, they're always just wandering through the Stargate on foot, and yeah. just you know what will be will be. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, they definitely do use maps though, because like there's later episodes where you see them with the map footage, but it, it seems like they just happen to fortuitously only use a map when they actually really needed to use a map. Right. Oh, and I mean, for all we know, they are sending a map through on every single mission, and they only let's just give them the benefit of the doubt that that's what's happening, even though we never see a map sitting next to the gate. Yeah, I don't. I'm pretty sure they didn't send maps. Shh. Because the people that saw the gate active were like, they yeah, would have already... that was their fr- yeah no exactly yeah. yeah you're right I mean they sent Fred through yeah but like they saw they you see the gate active activate Fred apparently has already gone through like Fred goes through ahead of them because they didn't want to animate Fred flying through the air right which I thought they had already fixed because I'm pretty sure in previous episodes they weren't like recent episodes in season one they weren't flying through the air when they came through the gate. It's possible the Asgard fiddled with the gate? Hmm. Yeah, because the 
the hammer has to know the gate is activated. Well, I mean, obviously. But not only that, though, but people who have just been flung through and are now stumbling back to their feet are more likely to stay in the same place where you're expecting them to be so the hammer can do its, you know, hammer thing. Hammer time? Yes, indeed. So anyway, now that we've, you know, tangented a little bit but also talked about the episode. We got back to the episode. (laughs) All right. So I do see O'Neill is wearing his hat again, which is good. Yes, so something that struck me before they stepped through the gate was when Jack turns to Carter to say, uh, time to go to work. And I have to wonder if after, say, SG-7 has been on the job for, you know, like three or four years, if they ever feel that way. Mm. It's like, well, I guess I'll go check out another alien planet again. Poke around some ruins. You know, like like when does like the like the shine fall off of I'm stepping through an artificially created stable wormhole to another planet dozens of light years away? Like when when does like the appeal fall off of that? Oh, it definitely happens. I, I think we even like kind of see that in a couple episodes. Like where's the ennui episode? Mm. Well, you know they thought about having it, but why bother? Heh. <laughs> So they get to the planet, mm-hmm. and there are these people struggling to push this cart through the mud, and all I'm thinking is, where the hell are the horses? Well, yeah. And and then later... Because there definitely are horses. Yes, as we find out later. But something important happens before we find out, where are the horses? They come through and everybody starts laughing. Well, that's not the important part, but yes, that does happen. <laughs> and then the hammer you know, decides that they should stop because it's, it's hammer, hammer time. time. That's right. So the hammer does its blue glowy thing, and based on Jackson and Carter's reaction to the blue glowy thing, it is clearly a visible light, and not as with so many of these other... I feel like there's a more common sci-fi trope that we, the audience, get to see the scanning technology, but the characters aren't necessarily aware that it's happening. I'm not actually sure that I, like, agree with that. I, I, I'm i not thinking of a... Can you name an example? I can't, but I just, like, felt semi-surprised when I was watching this and realized, and noticed that they were, like, not just noticing the beam, but were, like, blinded by the beam. Wrapped up like a deuce in the middle of the night? Yes. Except what rhymes with beam? Uh... Gleam? Dream. Cream? Uh, dream makes more sense. Wrapped up like a deuce in the middle of a dream. So apparently the band who recorded that, like, just kept mispronouncing deuce, which is why it's yeah, yeah. on the recording douche. Yeah, it's very funny. Anyway, so, I don't know, I would just, I, I felt surprised by their reaction to the fact, like, oh, this, this beam is here, and I can see it, and it's blinding me. Mm. Maybe All I'm right. wrong. It's fine. Then the beam concentrates on Teal's stomach. Yes, and Teal grimaces significantly. Which must mean, like, crazy pain, because you know how stoic Teal is. So stoic. Jack can't figure out why Teal won't move out of the beam. This will happen again. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, goes to knock Teal out of the way, and at that moment, the beam finishes its beamingness and beams them to the beaming place. Beam. Beam? Beam. And then we get the credits. Yes. 
and to the intro we go. So post credit, Garwin comes up and says on a horse. On a horse. So obviously they have them. Yeah. And says that they're a little short for short. I mean gods. They're a little short for gods. Yep. I have that also. (laughs) That was one of the things I wrote down. (laughs) And then after talking back and forth, we, you know, she comes to the realization that they're humans. And that may be one of the first times we've had where one of the people on one of these planets has actually used the word human, like one of the natives. And again, with the people that were taken from earth who definitely would have spoken old Norse, knowing fluent English. Yeah, I really wish we had gotten, like, some sort of throwaway tech. Like, we never get it, ever. Yeah, like a babblefish. Right, we never get it in 17 seasons. Mm-hmm. Just oh, so upsetting. Well, actually, on it's not in 15 seasons, because on Universe, they actually can't speak aliens' languages. Okay, fair enough. But those were not, like, human aliens. That's true. And there are human aliens that we encounter, or non-human aliens that we encounter in the course of SG-1 in Atlantis, where they also cannot speak their language. But anytime they encounter, like, a straight-up human, everyone's speaking English. Yeah. So, but, you know, so we're back to, we're back, you know, we're through the gate, we're meeting with Gerwin, and she's saying that her husband has gone to Viking, Yes. Uh, which, I mean, I knew what it meant because I'm also a huge nerd. Mm. Uh, but Carter was confused, and Garwin says that they cannot spare the horses, and so now we know why they're pushing the cart. I'm really glad I got closure on that. <laughs> I had forgotten that they said they couldn't spare the horses. She said they couldn't spare the horses. All right. Be- well, because she says that uh, that once Jackson and Carter explain their reason for being there. Garwin says that she's going to take them to go see uh, Kendra, who has been through this before, and she cannot spare the horses, but she can walk them there, basically. She also reveals that they are, that I think this is the first time that humans on a planet know that they originally came from Earth. Yes. Possibly because the, you know, Thor is a good star god. Right. And at that point, we cut to Teal'c and Jack in the cave. Yeah. Uh, where we see the really boring hologram. Well, not boring. Boring is the wrong word, but just sort of like... For some reason like like I get that Teal'c was checking to make sure that his primtile was okay, but it's weird that it like stuck its head out of his pouch. Maybe to express its displeasure at being beamed. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, we get the the phone in hologram. Yeah, and especially in light of future knowledge, it really is just like you know, yes. I'm, I'm like filled with all these questions about well, why is it this way in light of who the target audience is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, and then the end of the sequence, we have Jack saying, "Let's find the Hall of Molehair," and I much I much prefer the Mirmir from mm. the Thor movie. From um, I, I like how they Cat called Dennis. back to that in Thor Two, like Mew Mew, Mew, Mew. Yes, <laughs> Thor Two being the much better Thor movie because Thor One is possibly the worst of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, it, I would I agree with the, you on the first part of that sentence. 
so we're back to kendra and this is like a total thing from this whole episode and this helps with our whole with our personal push to not quite hew as closely to the and this minute and this minute like going through the minutes of the episode is that this one cuts back and forth between kendra and the cave as i have them on my notes like incessantly like each one like it's like two or three minutes here then boom back to the other so kendra heals the boy Mm -hmm. and tells the boy she doesn't tell him not to fight she just tells him not to fight boys that are bigger than him well you know she's she's wise and realizes that telling the boy not to fight would be futile Mm. much like resistance exactly a Norse boy, he's gonna fight. That's fair. So what stuck out to me through all this was how like how long Jackson and Carter have their hands on their weapons. Yeah. You know, they they get to Kendra and Jackson shouts and there's a, then apparently a commercial cut. And we come back and see the healing process and when we when the camera goes back to Carter and Jackson, their hands are still on their guns? It just seems like a long time for them to be like, eh, well, we might shoot you. And then they they reach for their guns again once she shows the scar on her neck. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they tell their story to Kendra. Kendra tells her story to them. And the, the thing that I notice, so, and Kendra's like, I, I don't, I, I don't want to go back to the cave mm-hmm. because, you know, bad things happen there. And then Thunder happens. It's like, oh, Thor's telling me I need to go to the cave. So we know, and in fact, she says, so it's not just future knowledge on this, that people who have been inhabited by Goulds, uh, Gould, I should not say, I should not stoop to season one uh, dialogue and say Goulds. Well, no, uh, I mean, well, I mean, I guess in this case, a single person probably has not been inhabited by multiple, but it's not entirely wrong. People who have been inhabited by gold remember what happens when while they are gold. Yes. And for someone who has a lot of knowledge about stuff, she sure is really superstitious. No, no, absolutely. I have to wonder how much did having a gold inside and then the removal process break her? Well, I can see that. It's probably a little stressful. I also have to imagine, just based on our brief glances of the terrain, they probably get a lot of thunderstorms. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, Jackson himself points out later, um, you know, the idea that this is just her internal struggle on wanting to do the right thing, certainly in Jackson's mind, of taking them to thor's hammer versus her reluctance to go and her way of justifying it or explaining it or pushing herself is to interpret the frequent thunder as this is thor telling me to do this Hmm. yeah i can see that so one thing that i did pick up on you know we cut back to the cave for a minute and not a whole lot happens but we see the claw and when we and then <laughs> we cut back to Carter and Jackson and Kendra, and Jackson starts mansplaining Jaffa to a former ghoul. Yeah, he does. And it's it, it 
like there's there's no other explanation for it. Just like in the last last episode where there's no other explanation than Jack was raped, Jackson is mansplaining Jaffa to a former ghoul. Yes. Twenty years of hindsight and all that jazz, but yeah, in, in I think we're gonna be encountering a, a lot of oddly problematic things that at the time no one probably gave a second thought to. Yeah, and you get that with anything made more than like ten years ago. Yeah, that's probably true. So, we get back to the cave, and Jack is asking Teal'c to use his staff weapon. Oh, oops, the daisies. Doesn't work. Uh, which the hologram told us it wouldn't. But Jack's uh, MP5 does, and Teal'c says that... Man, I wish I could remember the exact wording. I'm on it. Yeah, you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> Exactly. We're going to use future knowledge here for a moment, folks. But it's totally worth it. <laughs> because, you see, the Asgard would never invent a weapon that propels small weights of iron and carbon alloys by igniting a powder of potassium nitrate, charcoal, and sulfur. That's it. And so, therefore, would not expect that they would need to deactivate that kind of technology. Okay. I know how to look that up, but how did you look that up so quickly? I I did not look it up so quickly. Okay, admittedly, I did look it up so quickly, I got to the correct answer very, very quickly. Um, But I remembered enough of the quote Mm. to be able to get to the episode, and that was one of the included quotes for the episode on IMDb. So that definitely made my job a whole lot easier. Fair enough. So, yeah, so, and then... The Unos appears, mm. as voiced by James Earl Jones, and, and it's Teal'c marvelous. Says you do not exist. Clearly, he's standing right in front of you, man. That's what I'm saying. And Jack, of course, does as Jack does, and just shoots the Unos a lot, just blows sure. them away. Teal checks him; he's dead. They realize that not only do Jack's weapons work in this cave labyrinth thing, but it also helps, you know, they can also use it to kill the Unas. And Jack hands Teal'c a stick, a little black box thing, which at first I thought was a knife, but I realized later it was probably another magazine for the pistol. I'm sure that Teal'c was carrying a sidearm. It's standard issue. They all have sidearms. Hmm. I know that because they mentioned it in the Knox episode when they noticed that all of them are missing their sidearms. Okay. Well, Teal'c didn't wake up with them in the Knox. Sure, but if Daniel has one. Yeah, but Daniel doesn't have a staff weapon. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. So now we're back to Kendra, who's still reading the runes, and reading the runes apparently means laying down like a five-foot circle of stones. Well, those are the runes. No, the runes are... We see the runes later. We see a rune later. The the little things, like the size of your thumb or whatever. Not, you know, like a five-foot circle of stones. They are little. And that tells me that Diablo 2 totally lied to me, and I could have carried way more of them. Oh, man, Diablo 2's inventory system. Pfft. Harumph. That's one of the things that Diablo... Th- one of the few things that Diablo 3 really did improve upon. <laughs> this is not the Diablo 2 versus Diablo 3 podcast. Okay, so they're reading the runes and chatting. I'll remember about what. I really didn't like Kendra. Yeah, I was not fond of her. Yeah, that was one of the like the lower points of the episode for me. Um, was Kendra 
in general. Uh, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. So they do set out, yes. and we see the standard montage of them, like, of it changing time of day as they walk. Yes, I have it written down in all caps, HIKING MONTAGE. <laughs> uh, I had the order a little bit off uh, in between the reading of the runes and the HIKING MONTAGE. That's when they meet the Unas, who pronounces it Jaffa. You know, I w- he says, no, he says Jaffa. Jaffa. It sounded to me like Jaffa. I heard a J. Later, he gives it the J, gives that J, you know. But the- he definitely says Jaffa and not Jaffa. Yes, well, there's that. But I definitely heard Yaffa. I wasn't going to mention that you got the scene out of order, because we're not trying to strictly adhere to the... Well, I'm going through my notes. I had to flip pages. (laughs) 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 But I have important notes about the shooting of... uh, about the killing of the Unas. (laughs) And Teal getting up to him and saying... The first one. He's dead. That was a good... And then just... And but then like just like picturing this like arrested development esque like interlude like black panel scene thing where what it just says the first one was not dead. <laughs> well that's basically what happened because you see right. the glowy eyes. Well yeah. If this is sort of like, you know, comedy sci fi show. I'd be down for a comedic stargate show. So after the hiking montage we get back to more of the cave. Jack asks Teal'c about the Unis, and he talks about how they were the first host and they have and they were there's a myth that they're able to regenerate much like a vampire yes i noticed that so to me that says that teal's knowledge of the vampire largely comes from bella lugosi did bella lugosi pronounce it vampire isn't or, it how it was pronounced, like in like the like the original like classic like black and white silent film Dracula or, what, or not? Well, I guess silent, not pronounced it silent film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the classic like black and white Dracula. Like, didn't they pronounce it? I vampire? honestly don't know. Yeah, neither do I. We're just gonna. Say I've never seen it. Let's just say that that is the truth that we choose to believe. And I believe it because Teal watches all the movies. So yes, as we definitely will find out later. Um... But yeah, no, so they're talking about the myth. Teal'c saying, it was dead, I believe. <laughs> Which is a good sign because it shows more and more the the, the writers and the cast um, getting a feel for the show that they're making. Which they're definitely going to take most of season one to figure out. Yeah. Um, but it's always good to see more and more signs of the, you know, the show to come. Yeah. So... Then we have our intrepid searchers. Yes, who are definitely not lost. They're super lost. Yeah. And, you know, just Jackson just keeps pestering Kendra about what was it like when the ghoul got sucked out of your head, etc. Because Jackson can't, like, is solely focused on getting Sharae de-goulded. I mean, can you blame him? No, I can't, but I feel like he's only focused on that. It's like, we're going to go find the machine that get will get Share D. Goulded. Also, Jack is there. Yeah. Uh, it's you know, definitely the feeling that you get from how he's playing it. Uh, we go back to the cave. The Unas pulls a bullet out of himself and yells, and that's when Jack and Teal realize, oh, no, wait, he's not dead. Oops. That's That's not a myth, I believe is what he says. Yes, that's it, yes. Then we get this cool, like, aqueduct, which 
I figure must actually exist somewhere because there's no way they built that for this episode. Exactly what I wrote. I said, ooh, an aqueduct. Yeah, I was excited about the aqueduct too. Yeah. And so while they're on the aqueduct, Carter is kind of like really giving it to Jackson about Jackson's like blind belief that Kendra is going to take them where they need to go and where they need to go. There's going to be a machine that will cure Share, etc. But you have to realize that at the beginning of the episode when Jackson's like, well, I guess they're dead, like almost immediately that Carter's like, no, that's not how we're going to, like, no, they're not dead, we can't believe that, let's bring in some more dudes and solve this problem. Yeah. So it's an interesting reversal from my, per- you know, in my perspective. A little bit, yeah. Now I want to, like, go to wherever this is in British Columbia and, like, check out this aqueduct. Yeah, let's just go tomorrow. I got nothing going on except work. Same here. Right. Not like that matters or anything. God, it really doesn't. (laughs) So anyway. Right. (laughs) So we're back in the cave now, right? Yes. And James Earl Unas tells them that he knows the secrets of the labyrinth and the power of the bay. The power. Nice. Jump, magic jump. That's right. Oh, man. I think I would pay all the dollars to have James Earl Jones do a dramatic reading of Power of the Babe. I mean, I'm willing to pay money to have James Earl Jones do a dramatic reading of most anything, but yes, that would be quite good. Totes my goats. <laughs> and i like how jack uh, jack right before he blows him away is like a map would be nice right so i feel like they know this thing regenerates yeah at this point why don't they remove the head or destroy the brain <laughs> no exactly right i in, in the course of looking for the the quote from earlier I came across a forum thread that was talking about why energy weapons, question mark. And the idea being, well, you know, because they're less bloody or something. Or there's a way to make them less bloody, etc. And a more elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Sure, yeah. And someone's pointing out, well, yeah, but the SG teams all carry P90s, future knowledge. And they just blast away at everything they come across. So there's that argument right out the window. And I think, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the SGC's unofficial motto is explore new and exciting alien planets, shoot first, ask questions later. I, in fact, have a note from this episode that if Stargate had a prime directive, they really violated it this episode. Yeah. <laughs> As in, like, if they had a directive that was prime or the prime directive as in if stargate had the prime directive okay yeah and that well in that case then they violate it every time they well yes <laughs> but yeah anyway right <laughs> so yeah so we get back to kendra and they finally have found the you know the the labyrinth and she you know they're asking her to describe it for them because they're saying, "Oh, you don't have to come with us if, like, if you can't, um, just tell us what, like, give us whatever you can." And she's saying, uh, "There were long tunnels leading from one room to another." 
so a labyrinth. What I find interesting is she talks about how the she wanted the labyrinth for a really long time, and she right. knows there was something in there, but she never like actually saw it. That seems really unlikely to me, especially with how quickly the Unis honed in on Jack and Teal. Well, the Unis didn't hone in on Jack and Teal until after Jack had fired his weapon. Before Jack fired his weapon, Jack, like we saw, like rumblings of the Unas, the claw. But it wasn't necessarily awake-awake, I guess. It wasn't until Jack fired the weapon that we got that scene where it's like, now suddenly the claw's not there. Eh, I suppose that's true. So I'm going to give Kendra the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the fact that she's alive and the Unis didn't need her. I mean, it's kind of all the proof we need. Yeah, fair Just, enough. You know. So Jack and Teal find the exit. Mm-hmm. Teal gets stuck in the red beam this time and jack once again asks why he doesn't move and then moves him <laughs> yes you know you think after jack had been on part of the stargate program for a while and stepping through pieces of ancient highly advanced technology that teleports him from one planet to another he would stop being so confused by alien technology You'd think that. Like, my goodness, why don't you stop being affected by the alien technology? Just, you know, just just, just cut that step and go straight to the pulling him out of the alien beam. Mm. Huh. Then uh, the our intrepid searchers enter the cave. But not before Kendra gives us, like, a little bit... So Kendra tells us that she's going to come with them because facing her fears is important. Mm-hmm. And all I could think in that sequence was the Bene Gesserit from dune here's the mind killer that's right also spice must flow the spice must flow obviously (laughs) bless is coming and is going (laughs) he is passing clouds the world yes (laughs) (laughs) but no but that was obviously the first thing that that came to mind i don't know about you uh which is facing her fears definitely came, came into my head yeah so we go back to the cave and teal asked jack uh, are you considering the ta- the same tactics as I? And Jack corrects him. And I love this moment for two reasons. Uh, one, we get, you know, because of having seen all the episodes, um, we get that, you know, the classic moment of Teal fumbling a human, a, a human English cliche. And then two, we also get a taste of Jack's regard for cliches. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we're starting, you know, like I said, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing the, like the, the writing and the cast starting to form into what we know and love, especially in the later seasons. And I think that this episode in particular, like to like stands out to me as like a, like a good gelling moment. Yeah, I would agree. So, then they fight the Unas again. They fight the Unas again. Teal'c goes to, you know, sacrifices himself uh, to push him into the red beam thing. I'm almost surprised Jack doesn't once again ask Teal'c why he doesn't get out of the beam. (laughs) Right. So, Jack pulls Teal'c out of the beam. Mm -hmm. And that's when the Unas finally succumbs. And then Carter, Jackson, and Kendra show up. Finally. Yeah. Well, they did sort of watch that final fight there. Yeah. Uh, Jackson is saying, okay, great. The machine works. Let's go save Charay now. 
you know, forgetting about Teal'c. Right. And Jack calls him out on it. Yeah. Teal'c didn't forget about Teal'c. Teal'c's like, well, I guess I'll just stay here. It's fine. I'm happy to stay since I was involved in what happened to your wife. I suppose this is my penance. It's fine. I don't mind. Except without the sarcasm. Right. Without, like, and it's like, like three <laughs> words and not like three sentences. But yeah. <laughs> so they destroy the hammer with Teal'c's staff weapon. Yeah. Jack hands the staff weapon to Jackson to destroy it. Which you then like see is clearly a test on Jack's part. He's like, you know, he Jack has said his piece that Tilk is a part of their team and part of their family, and we need to look out for the ones that we can right in front of us. And he hand and you know and he's like, Well Jackson, blow it up already. I just love so much about this episode, especially compared to the last episode, which was just so eh. Yes, indeed. Very much so. So they get out of the cave and they head back to the Stargate. And they uh, they also talk about how even though they destroyed the hammer, it should be okay because the Gould still know this is the planet that all Gould must avoid. Right. Famous last words. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, and they exchange gifts. Yeah, we give them the box from the Sagan Institute to give to the Asgard if they ever show up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then we have the end of the episode. Yeah. And Kendra. Wait, was it Kendra or the other one? Garwin. No, it was Kendra. I don't okay. believe... Yeah, no, Garwin wasn't in the final scene. Okay. Kendra gives them a rune. Yes. Which is the Ansu's rune, which is for prosperity and vitality. Mm. So, thank you for listening to this week's episode of 7th Chevron. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Torment of Tantalus, episode 11. Mm-hmm. I am at Gamicus on Twitter. I am at Tyrannicus on Twitter. No relation. The show is at Stargate Weekly on Twitter. All right, well, that's the show. Hot. A goblin bay. <laughs> well. <laughs> I saw my bay.